let's engage in what God's desiring to reveal. We're in this emphasis from Easter to Pentecost of the Roaring Twenties. And um, it's just been a great 50-day emphasis for us these seven weeks, um, just dis- exploring and discovering what God is revealing. And I want to challenge you. Uh, this is something that I'm, I'm having to think about, concentrate on, learn in, grow in. I am an activator. I know what it is to get in a group like this and be the designated speaker and try to activate you. Um, and I, I just want to invite you on this journey for God to take us deeper than simply being inspired, but to truly, by the Spirit of God, will be sensitive to Him that He will that we will leave this place empowered, um, not just spun up and excited about what God's doing, but really set in motion to cooperate fully and completely with what, what, with what God is desiring to accomplish. So, so pay attention and listen for the sound of the anointing. It's interesting to me, sometimes um, during worship, I'll realize we just hit a vein. I don't know if you've, you've picked up on this, but if you'll just listen, more than just the natural sound, Sometimes I'll suddenly hear it, and I'll just kind of look up with whoever's singing and realize the sound of the anointing just got really strong in that moment. I believe God wants us to learn to dwell there. I believe that there is a new wineskin church emerging, and it is a a posture of believers that are very in tune with what God is desiring to do. How many of you are willing to go there? Not just walk in the Spirit, but keep in step with the Spirit. And so I believe the Lord will give us wisdom in that. In fact, um, Tuesday, I will be talking to, I do a leadership session once a month at 8 o'clock on Tuesday. It's the first Tuesday of the month, and that'll be this Tuesday, 8 a.m. to 8.30. And there'll be some people that'll be comfortable gathering here. Feel free to join us if you'd like. But we'll be broadcasting that online. And I'm going to be talking about exactly that, what this movement of the new wineskin church looks like. And then Friday, uh, I'll be speaking on a panel with pastors in England of a group of individuals that are um, exploring and pursuing what this is. And we're a part of that apostolic network in the UK, helping oversee and work with multiple ministries there. Uh, And so we'll be gathering online. I'll be giving you that info uh, as you track us online, social media. So, um, we've entered into a season, a decade, of the Roaring Twenties. And I want you to, again, listen for something deeper than just an explanation. But we we need to listen for the revelation. We've entered into a decade of the Roaring Twenties. Not like the 1920s, but like the 2020s, where the Roaring Lion of the tribe of Judah is awakening God's roar in the body of Christ, where our songs are released in greater measure and power, where our prayers have greater release of God's kingdom in the earth. Do you believe that we have stepped into this decade of the roaring 20s where God is doing something profound and supernatural in the body of Christ? Can I get an amen? I want that. I want that for me. I want it in my heart. I want it in my home. I want it in our church. I want it in our community. I want it in the communities of our nation, uh, in the nations of the world. And God's assigned that for us to embrace and understand. Amos chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 have been the emphasis for us in these seven weeks. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing 
without first revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. God doesn't do anything without talking about it and revealing it first. And so we need to be paying attention to what God is doing. So many times we're catching it after the fact, when by the Spirit we can actually learn to walk in a place of spiritual maturity and be paying attention well in advance. God does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? When the lion of the tribe of Judah releases the roar of God within our hearts, you can't help but declare the prophetic word of the Lord. Your prayers become power when you're listening to what the Holy Spirit has to say. Prayers are not to be religious rhetoric. Prayers are not to be spiritually surfaced, bunch of expressions that have no meaning. Prayers are to release something of substance of God's kingdom in the earth. Prayers and our words actually have power. When I declare healing and you say amen, it releases a shockwave of healing in our community. Can I hear it? Amen. When I say unity and you say amen, it releases a shockwave against the hate and injustice that's happening in the land. Can I hear amen? God wants us to rise up as the church and be the people that he's called us to be to make a difference in the nation in which we live. This generation church, it's very important that we understand, this generation church, God's calling us to more than what we have known in previous generation church. There is a new wineskin church that is emerging, and it is costly, but I'm willing to pay the price. How about you? And I don't even know what that price is that's going to cost, but I know it's going to be costly. I know we're going to have to understand consecration like we've never known before, and God's going to take us into that so that we're walking deeper with him. The Bible actually says in Hebrews 12 that our God is a consuming fire. Today, Pentecost Sunday, we're talking about the baptism of fire. And so we're going to look at these analogies throughout Scripture. So many times we as Christians, what we do is we take a specific verse that we're you know, thinking about or we have an idea and we find a verse to apply to it. And I think that's a great uh, practice for us as believers. But we also need to understand that biblical contextual framework is really important. In other words, not just a single verse, but what's God revealing from Genesis to Revelation, from book to book in the overall context of Scripture. Because what God is trying to do is establish a deeper narrative in our soul that actually will sustain us through every circumstance that we could ever walk through. So very important that we see this. Not only is Hebrews 12 God a consuming fire, but Hebrews 1 says God has made us flames of fire. Everybody say, I'm a flame. He is a consuming fire, and he's made us flames of fire. What happens when you put two or three or four flames together? The fire gets bigger. We, become to be, we, be, we begin to become a greater expression of this all-consuming fire of who God is as we're the body of Christ. So God is an all-consuming fire. We are made flames of fire. And then we see all these various encounters with God throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New, just exploring what the Bible says about fire. It's really amazing, but in Exodus chapter 3, Moses has an encounter with God as fire, the burning bush. We see how in Deuteronomy 4, Moses goes up on the mountain, and again, he encounters God with fire. You know, the Bible tells the story of how God talks to Moses, and Moses goes down to the people, and he says, hey, God says that he wants to be your God and, and wants you to be his people. You'll be a kingdom of priests. Like all the New Testament stuff that we read about was what God was offering in the Old Testament in that moment in time. 
And all the people in the Old Testament said, hey, this is great. The Israelites that were there having the conversation with Moses, they said, yeah, absolutely. We want to be God's people, and, and we want God to be our God. How many of you want to be God's people, and you want God to be your God? And then Moses goes back up on the top of the mountain, and he says, hey, God, they said, deal on. This is it. We're going to go for it. And, and it's the saddest portion of Scripture that I have ever read in my life, and I've read this over and over and thought about it, because God gets ecstatic. God gets excited. God starts to rumble like fire starts to burn and smoke starts to billow and a shaking begins to happen and, and, and like the deal is on, the consummation of this covenant is taking place and all the people at the bottom of the mountain see all the action taking place and they step back from their commitment and they say, wait a second, I'm not really comfortable with this kind of God who's too big for me to put in a nice package that I can understand. So Moses, why don't you meet with God and tell us what he has to say and we'll go to church and we'll pay our tithes and we'll take care of what we need to take care of so that you can pay the price to be with God and tell us what God has to say. I want you to know that is not God's plan. God's plan is that every one of us have an encounter with God on a daily basis in the way we walk this out. We don't show up to church to pay the preachers to lead the charge. We are the church, and we rise up in our anointing as we serve the Lord our God. As we gather as the church, we're gathering with anticipation that Jesus is alive. He's awakening the body of Christ, and our anointing is strong enough and powerful enough to break yokes of bondage because of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see in Exodus 13, God led the Israelites with fire by night. All these illustrations and analogies of fire throughout Scripture, then they help us to understand just a little bit more as we then enter into the New Testament and John the Baptist shows up introducing another level of experiencing the fire of God. He says in Matthew 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, say it with me, fire. So here John the Baptist is introducing something that has roots and heritage and legacy and explanation that these people could comprehend and understand. This is an encounter with God. In the Old Testament, we see that there were sacrifices that were placed on the altar, and fire was indicative of God's favor with the sacrifice as the fire would come down and consume the sacrifice. When you and I join together in worship, we're not here to listen to the band. We're here to become the worship team. We bring our own sacrifice of praise on our own altar right there in our place, in our space, in our home, wherever it may be. And our sacrifice of praise then solicits the fire of God that comes and consumes, declaring, I have found favor with your sacrifice today. Do you understand what we're talking about? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, tell us about Pentecost Sunday, the first time this happened. It was the birth of the New Testament church in power. Now, now listen, because if we're not careful, we're going to look into some things, and we're going to stand at the foot of the mountain, and we're going to hear some shaking and, and see some smoke, and then there are going to be some things that we might not be totally comfortable with that I'm about to speak into here. And if we're not careful, we'll back up and say, well, you go ahead. That's good for you, but I'll just stay back here, and you just tell me what God's been saying. 
Acts 2, 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Tongues of fire. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. All of us should be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants every believer to be full to overflowing of the Holy Spirit. This is part of his plan for us. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do so. There's something of an activation of the gifts that God wants for us to understand and pursue and explore and grow in and become more mature in, not to achieve and accomplish and, and then turn around and glory in as if we're mature. I don't, I don't care how far you've gone with God. There's more for you to grow into the things of God. This is a fiery encounter that God desires for all of us to have with him. After Jesus is risen from the, the dead, he has this conversation with two of the disciples in, in Luke 24, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Did our hearts not burn when Jesus began to help us understand the scripture? Did our hearts not burn when Jesus himself began to open the scripture to us? The point I want to make to you is this is God's desire for every one of us to experience as a way of life in our devotions, in our pursuing God. I'm just going to tell you, I am, I am astonished right now at how many people I am hearing talking about this deeper invitation that God is extending for people to step into, to, to experience. God is right there inviting us deeper. He's inviting us into the deeper waters. He's inviting us into deeper places. And if you're not in a place where you're exploring and pursuing God in, in prayer and in the Word, then you are likely not even aware that this is going on. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Get in touch with Turn the Page. Get in touch with a consistent place of prayer. And when you get into the Word, don't just read like you're reading religious rhetoric. Regardless of if your mind understands or not, celebrate the goodness of God and the presence of God in that moment and see if your heart doesn't start to burn as Jesus himself is right there with you, opening up his Word for you to understand in a greater measure, in a deeper place in your heart. He's deepening the narrative that, he, that he's desiring to deposit within us so that there's substance in our soul when circumstances come our way. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? You know, John Wesley incredible revivalist and Methodist movement born from his ministry. You know, so many times that which gives birth to something uh, is the anchor, and then what it gives birth to can migrate into many directions. And much of that's happened with, with the origin of, of John Wesley, but I will tell you this, John Wesley was a man on fire for God. 
He was a radical, radical, fiery preacher. And thousands of people would come to hear him. He began to have earlier meetings to accommodate all the thousands of people that wanted to come and hear him speak. And, and one day they asked him, John, how do you get so many people to come and hear you speak? And this is what he said. I'm just going to proclaim this over you. I want you to receive this over your own life today. He said, I set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn. I believe when you encounter the fire of God, you begin to burn in such a way that it attracts the attention of humanity everywhere you go. If you think about going to a campsite, then when you show up at the campsite, everybody's pitching tents and gathering wood and doing all kinds of different things in all directions, but something mysterious happens when the fire gets built in the middle of the campsite. No matter where anybody is, they all come and surround the fire. They all get positioned around the fire. Anybody ever experienced this before? You just watch the flames and you get mesmerized by the fire. Before you know it, you're telling jokes and you're going deep and deeper conversation and interaction. There's something about fire that takes us deeper in a place of community and connection. And God wants us to experience that on a daily, ongoing basis as men and women of God. This is what I've learned about fire. It dies if the source of fuel goes out. The source of fuel for the fire of God is when we get in his presence, when we stay in his word, when we gather like this, when we do more than just religious behaviors and we really just experience and explore that which is born of the Spirit. That fire begins to be ignited within us. You know, when I first got saved, um, I experienced this fire. And I, I know in Luke, or sorry, Leviticus chapter 6, there's this really important phrase. And I want to I say this phrase as a word of caution, as a word of challenge, and as a resounding declaration. The Bible says, do not let your fire go out. Do not let your fire go out. This was a commission given to the priests in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 6. Raise your hand if you are a part of the kingdom of priests in the New Testament Christianity. Just raise your hand, everybody. That'd be you. That'd be us. That'd be everybody in this room. We are the priests, and God's commission remains. Do not let the fire go out. And every morning, those priests were commissioned to stir the coals and fuel the fire so that it would burn all day long. And then every night, their commission was to stir the coals and fuel the fire so that it would burn all night long until the next morning when they would stir the coals and fuel the fire so that it would burn all day long until it got to the night when they would stir the coals and fuel the fire and it would burn all night long. They were to have that fire burning without ceasing. First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Let the conversation between you and God never stop. Let there be a continual communion between you and God that is eternally significant as we walk through this world, as we live through this life. We're constantly in a state of communion with God. Can you hear the depth of what God is revealing in this moment right now? As we get into the Word, we stir the coals. As we spend time in prayer and we invite God's perspective, we stir the coals and we fuel the fire. Do not let your fire go out. I was, I was fiery. You know, I, I got saved and, and I was radically lost and I got radically saved and I had several really good 
Christian friends. As soon as I became a Christian, I'm surrounded by all these Christian uh, dudes, and, and, and I'm a little, you know, radical out there. They hadn't taught me how to, you know, worship in the polished, you know, worship yet, and so I was more like, ah, you know. I mean, you know, I, the, and so I, they, they called me, it's spiritually exuberant. And, the, and they said, oh, oh, yeah, that's Lawrence. He's spiritually exuberant. And, and then one of them made the, the comment, you're just spiritually exuberant. You'll calm down. Give it time. I'm probably more exuberant today than I even was then. It doesn't go away. If you stir the fire and fuel the fire, you keep the fire burning. What that individual was saying was, I used to have fire like that, but I don't anymore, and I feel better about not having that kind of fire if I can convince you that that's not normal. And I want to say to you, what's not normal is for somebody who has a dead person who came back to life, living within them by their spirit, walking around like a normal human being does on the planet. That's not normal. Like Jesus is alive, his spirit is within you. You should be hearing the voice of God, conversing with God as a way of life, waking up in the morning and pausing before you even get out of bed and say, God, what are you doing today? And he begins to reveal the things that you're going to experience in the course of the day, many times confirming every step of the way. Now that is supernaturally normal for us as men and women of God. I'm talking about the baptism of fire. I'm talking about the spirit of God at work within the people of God in powerful and profound ways. And so here I was, I actually got saved in this Baptist church, and there were some exuberant individuals and some fairly non-exuberant individuals, and, and I was the exuberant tribe, and, and I was loud, and, and I would worship loud, and, and after I got saved, it was a few months later, I was in a small group setting, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I got really loud when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, because then the fire really began to burn. And then and my worship got even louder and more exuberant. And Tracy, who was my girlfriend at the time, was standing next to me, and I think she noticed the volume and, and on a couple of occasions, and she would say to me, you're being really loud. And what she really meant was, you're embarrassing me. Everybody's looking at us. And, and I understood, and I would try to contain. But, but, you know, you can only contain fire so long until then it's really going to go. And so I just want to say, let the fire burn. Let the fire of God burn in the hearts of the people. Let the fire of God burn in our lives. And at the same time, I want to just communicate something to you, a very valuable lesson that I learned in that period of time in my life. Because there were the non-exuberant individuals that became critics. And because they were critics, it produced a reaction. And I became a critic And I want you to hear the essence of disunity. Because when you're not like me and I'm not like you and we don't understand each other and we don't have any conversation to try and develop a spirit of unity between us, we're just critical of each other. And I want to say it loud and clear. Learn to be a student, not a critic. As soon as you move past being a student to the place of being a critic, you've crossed the line. You'll never learn because now you've put up a wall. Step back from being a critic and choose to be a student and see what you might learn. And a few of those people that were my critics over the course of time, I didn't change much, and and they saw it wasn't really calming down, and we started to form a friendship as we were in different forums together and would cross paths and have conversation. And I began to learn some things from some of these mature believers that were really healthy. And they began to learn some things from me, a very naive young believer, and it was really healthy. 
And iron sharpens iron. As one man's countenance to another, when God begins to bring us together and we're not the same, it produces a sense of friction. It produces a sense of friction. Sometimes in your marriage, there's a sense of friction, and you're mad about it, but it's actually God trying to sharpen your blade. Calm down. Let God do a work in you and stop blaming somebody else. Can I say it again? Don't be a critic. Be a student. What can I learn in this moment in time so that I can become more like Jesus? Very important that we get this. When I learned that we could learn from each other, what I figured out, and it's a phrase you hear us say a lot, especially uh, when we're bringing people into a spirit of unity, we can have distinction without having to have division. We don't have to all be alike, and in fact, by God's plan, we're not supposed to be alike. I don't want you to try and be like me. I want you to try and be like Jesus. (laughs) That's what we all should be aspiring toward. Now, we're all different. If we went this afternoon to every home, people online, uh, you're back at home now, we knock on the door and walk in and say, listen, we as a church have picked five families and we're going to award $1 million to these five families, a total of $5 million. Just want to say thank you to Derek and Crystal Wilson for making that donation. Wait. Yes, the Lord said that's a good thing for you to do. And so we'll come out, you know, and we knock on the doors and, and we say, hey, you've, you've been awarded a million dollars. Some people in this room, if you were awarded a million dollars this afternoon, you would be overwhelmed, you would sit down in the chair, you would begin to cry, and it would just be this incredible experience of having been awarded. I mean, you'd just be so grateful that you, were, you couldn't even contain it and you had to express it through tears. Other people in this room, you would dance, you would do like moves and shout. Ah! You would do go crazy. It'd be a different type of response to the million dollars. I'm not going to do that again, by the way. Uh, there'd be a different response to the million dollars. Uh, and it, neither one of them is right and neither one of them is wrong. It's just that we have distinction without having to have division. I think all of us would agree the Holy Spirit deserves a deep response. Whatever that looks like for you, let it be deep. Maybe it's not loud, but it can still be deep. Maybe it's not quiet, and it is loud, and you're going to have to make sure that stays deep because sometimes we get loud to get noticed, and that's not deep at all. That's surface. Here's the thing that we've learned, and we've shown this and talked about this before, but we all respond differently. How many of you in this room are the calm cockatoo? How many in this room are the crazy cockatoo? You notice I even did a hand gesture different on purpose. I said calm cockatoo, crazy cockatoo, right? Because the calm cockatoos don't want to lift their hands as high. You, you, you realize we can have distinction without having had division, even within our own home. Has anybody noticed this? Like your own children are so vastly different. And I, uh, I, I just thought this was the best. This morning, we're in the green room preparing for the morning, and, um, and Christy Henderson shared her sin, and, and I'd like to share that with you if that would be okay. She is a sinner on the road and got pulled over and got a ticket. Yes. <laughs> and she had four, uh, the, the four Henderson sons and daughters, son and daughters in the, in the vehicle, and the two youngest, 
Joss and Gwen had uniquely different responses when the policeman is there issuing the ticket. Joss, her response is like this, oh, don't take my mommy to jail. Gwen, her response in the hearing of the police officer, she's in the seat, bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? <laughs> That's just too good. <clears throat> Respond how you will. But let's all agree that the Holy Spirit is calling us to have hearts that burn as we experience His presence as a way of life. Acts chapter 19, verse 2. Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I want you to hear this. Let's, let's don't decide what we believe and then search for verses to substantiate our conclusions. Let's read the Scripture and see what the Bible says. Here were believers. They believed in Jesus. This was well after the day of Pentecost now. Chapter 19 of the book of Acts. And he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And in verse 6, those believers then, after being believers, then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and began to prophesy. You might not realize it, but the Bible actually says, and we are commanded to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Do you realize that? We are told in the book of Corinthians, eagerly desire spiritually gifts. I, I've, I've talked to so many people who say, well, those yeah, spiritual gifts are great. If God wants me to have them, then he'll give them to me. How many of you know that your salvation didn't happen that way? Nor will spiritual gifts happen that way. Eagerly desire, stir yourself up to take hold of the things of God. Grow deeper, sense the invitation of God to step into deeper waters of what he's wanting you to pursue. And I, I just want to challenge you this week, take some time to explore the scripture. Our action point for the week is pretty simple. I want to ask you, learn to be led by the Spirit on purpose, okay? Pray every day for the Holy Spirit to lead you, guide you, and direct you very specifically to make a difference in someone's day. Just pay attention to what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you and put this into practice in the course of the week. And I, I want to encourage you also in the course of this week, study this out. So you can go to destinyokc forward slash blog and see the, the message today all written out, the verses all listed. You can also go to destinyok forward slash Holy Spirit. And when you go uh, on that page, then what you'll find is a document that will give you an understanding of why these believers spoke in tongues when they were filled with the Spirit and what it is to prophesy. And, and I, just, I want you to know, God desires for each of us to carry our own expression of spiritual gifts within our lives. And your own prayer language is your own prayer language. I've heard people say it's mindless babbling. It's kind of more like spiritual bubbling. But okay, if you want to really look at this and dig into what the Bible has to say about this, then Destiny OKC, uh, Destiny OKC forward slash Holy Spirit. And there are five messages on there that you can dig into this further. What does the Word say? These are messages that I did a few years ago. And then finally, I want to just say to you, I want to invite you as a church family, let's grow deeper in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible actually says um, of this promise of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.39, that it's for you 
and it's for your children and for all who are far off. So what we're wanting to do is enter into a greater understanding, a greater revelation of what our relationship with the Holy Spirit is to be about, not just on our behalf. You gotta understand, your decisions about how you respond to God will affect your children and their decisions and your children's children. So mark it down if you would, what A.T. mentioned earlier, June the 24th. This is our Destiny uh, Christian Leadership Institute, and it's an open class. There's no fee, no tuition for this, but June the 20, or sorry, yeah, June the 24th, all the way through the month of July, we're going to do Wednesday evening classes here on the Holy Spirit. We're working to be able to broadcast that so some community groups might actually come together in their own forums and watch. Uh, we'll give you more announcements as we get a little closer. But I want to challenge you. We're going to sing this song about your children and their children and their children. It's a declaration song of the blessing of God. And I, I, you know, I've, I felt the Lord was asking me um, a week and a half ago when I was working on this message, I felt the Lord was asking me to actually lead into the song with a video. I'm hoping that our social media doesn't get X'd because sometimes when we play a video, it shuts it off. But this is a, this is a song that's going to, what you'll see is all these people from all these different nations singing this beautiful song in unity. Everybody say unity. Well, if there's a time we as the church need to be unified, it's right now. We as the church need to be unified. A divided church will not be able to rescue a divided nation. So let's be unified. And I, I felt like before I knew all that would be taking place with um, you know, what's been going on in the news and, and the, the scenarios of injustice that are now these you know, people are emerging saying enough and, 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 and now some of that's gone, you know, over the edge with burning buildings. And, I mean, there's just so much chaos in our nation right now. None of that was going on when I felt the Lord was saying to lead into the song with this. And I feel it's spiritually significant. I didn't realize it until this morning. But what you're going to see is different people from different nations singing the song all together in the different boxes on the screen. And then we're just going to carry that song on. And we're going to sing it in this room. But I want you to think about this, because the Bible actually says in the last days, nation will rise against nation. And that word in the Greek language of that prophecy is ethnos, will rise against ethnos, or ethnic group, will fight against ethnic group. Prejudice, implicit bias, however you want to say it, but division will begin to take place. And if there's one place we can gather together unified as one, it's right here in the body of Christ. I hate to oversimplify a deeply complicated situation going on in our nation, but I'll just say this. Everybody involved needs Jesus. That's, that's really what it boils down to. Because if everybody will carry the very nature and character of Christ, all these kind of problems will simply dissolve. So would you stand? We first just want to acknowledge Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Savior of the world. He died on a cross to rescue us, but he's not dead, he's alive. He is who he says he is. He's the savior of the world, the redeemer of all humanity. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. And I challenge you, embrace that reality 
that you would know him as your Savior and be filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing with the gifts of God begin to be a normal expression of the conversation God is having through you with the people around you as the fire of God begins to burn and people then are drawn and attracted. We won't stand at the base of the mountain and say, yeah, I can't put all that in a package of logic well enough. I'm going to stay back. Lord, we just want to press in. We want to press into you. We want our hunger and our passion to translate into your blessing in our lives, in our children, and in our children's children, generations to come. We accept that now, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's press in and let's worship.